So our sermon text for today will be from Leviticus chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge, or his body is stopped up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has the discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. If he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in running water. Then he shall be clean. On the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons, and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them, the one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for being able to hear it. We thank you, Lord, for being able to hear the preaching of your word. Lord, we do pray that you would be with Mr. Horn. You would help him to speak the words that we need to hear. We do pray that you would guide him by your spirit, that you would help him to declare the truth to us and to to open this text of scripture to us. Please help us to see how we should apply these things in our lives. We do pray, O oh God, that you would open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind and that you would cause them to see this day. But we, do, we do thank you for this time that we have in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. After God deals with leprosy, he now starts speaking about discharges. You know, at the first reading of the text, it can appear to be any kind of discharge, any, any kind of thing that's seeping from your body. But if you look deeper into the structure of the chapter, it's, 
it's really talking about sexual things. It's talking about the emission of semen. It's talking about a woman's menstrual cycle. And the flow of the text indicates that this is, this is really a, a passage about sexually transmitted diseases. Including the idea of his body being stopped up with the discharge. If it's just about something flowing from your body, then you don't get stopped up. But it is a normal symptom related to STDs of your not being able to urinate, being stopped up is a symptom, or not being able to control and to, to urinate uncontrollably, which here it talks about that it, if you runs, if the discharge runs. So I think the, the passage here, the right way to think about it is God is giving rules about sexually transmitted diseases. You know, other things that, you know, like a weeping sore or a, a, a Infected wound that can't be stopped up and it doesn't run. That's not that's not the picture. So God is giving instructions on how to deal with STDs. And so when we think about that, that tells us some things about this passage. And the first thing is, with leprosy, they were rejected from Israel, and that's pretty pretty clearly a picture of being associated with sin. But here you have STDs are associated with sins, but you have people with STDs and they aren't forced out of the camp. They remain in the camp. But if, if everybody obeyed the law of God, if everybody obeyed his original plan, his original decree that it's one man and one woman, there would not be sexually transmitted diseases. Almost all sexually transmitted diseases are because of sin. But that doesn't mean that somebody couldn't be in Israel that had the effects of sin. They can still be part of Israel. It's not like leprosy. Leprosy is the picture of sin and that they got put out of the camp for. This is a picture of the effects of sin. And you don't get put out of the camp for the signs of the effects of sin. Now, it does say that they're put outside of the camp in Numbers 5.2. So after just saying they don't get put out of the camp, I should explain that. It says in Numbers 5.2, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. But I think this is talking about more different levels of camp. If you look at the camp of Israel when they camped, all the tribes were around the outside. And then on, inside there is the Levites. And then inside there was the tabernacle. And, it, and if you touched a dead body, you didn't have to be put out of being a Levite even. But you couldn't go into the tabernacle. If you were a leper, you couldn't go in any of the camps. And so if you're in a discharge, you couldn't be a priest, but you could be in the camp of Israel. And so you aren't put outside the camp like you are you know, the different levels. The leper is outside the whole camp. The, the person with the discharge is outside of the Levites. The person with the, the touch the dead body is outside of the tabernacle. And so there is a sense that you're put out of the camp, but it doesn't mean because you're, you're bearing the effects of sin that it doesn't mean that, that somehow you can't be part of the people of God. You can still be part of the people of God. So the person with an STD was not to be put out of Israel. 
they were just restricted in what they could do and they had to recognize how much they affected the people around them. So the second thing to notice is the way that a sexually transmitted disease is not related to the restriction in this passage. The restriction in this passage is if you ride in a vehicle with somebody that you become unclean. That's not how you get a sexually transmitted disease. Touching somebody's bed is not how you get a sexually transmitted disease. So clearly this is symbolic. Clearly this is, this is picturing, just like leprosy was not primarily about how do you stop the spread of skin diseases. This passage is not about how you stop the spread of STDs. It's STDs as a picture of the effects of sin and the ongoing effects and how it continues to defile. Even after the sin was done, it continues to have ongoing defiling effects. It's just like moving out of the house wasn't required when there was a red or green mold found in the house. You still had to move out of the house. It wasn't to protect your, your health. It was to symbolize that there's a point where the best thing to do is to tear down the whole house, to tear down that local body, that local church. So this isn't about health. This isn't about how you, do not, how you stop sexually transmitted diseases from spreading. This is about how the priests know what is clean and what is unclean so that they can teach to the people of Israel. And the third thing, is that sexually transmitted diseases have always been prevalent in human societies for a very long time, and it continues to be prevalent. Even with better treatments and cures, something like 1% of Americans get an STD. Well, 1% of Americans get a specific STD, gonorrhea, every year. So it's not like, even though we can now give a shot and it can go away in a week, it's not like sexually transmitted diseases aren't here, and they didn't have the shot. It was not unusual for large percentages of a population to have sexually transmitted diseases. And we know Israel was worshiping false gods. We know Israel, even though they, they understood who God was after the plagues, they, they were not a righteous people. And so he's not talking about something that would have been far off from them. He's talking about something that, they, that would have been common among them. Sin still produces judgment. Sin still produces effects. But this passage doesn't talk about the judgment on the person. It focuses on the responsibility of that person who has the judgment upon him, how he has to deal with it, what he should be doing to stop people from being made unclean. It's about how our sin and the effects of our sin defile others. So with that, let's go to verses 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. And so we start with the Lord spoke. And again, when I've said this many times, when you see in the passage and the Lord spoke, it is creating a break, whether it means that it spoke later, that there was a time here, or it was right afterwards. It's a break from the previous, the previous subject. 
God is saying, I'm going to talk about something different now. And so that's, that's important. He's going through leprosy, and the leprosy was one picture, and this, this discharge is a different picture. And so God starts that and introduces that by saying, the Lord spoke. And this time he speaks to Moses and Aaron. Again, he's speaking to both of them, which means that he's speaking to both the, the priesthood, which is Aaron, and the state, which is Moses. So even as they, this is a big problem that lots of societies have tried to deal with. And, and it's a problem that the leaders have to deal with. And so he's speaking to both. But then he's supposed to speak to them, and then they're supposed to speak to the people, speak to the children of Israel. Most of the commandments, this isn't said to them. Most of the commandments, God just tells Moses, or God tells Moses and Aaron, go do these things. Deal with leprosy this way. And he doesn't say, teach this to the children of Israel. But leprosy would be probably far rarer than STDs would. STDs would probably be far wider spread in their society, just like they're spread, further spread in our society than leprosy. And so he's telling them explicitly, go, go teach them these things. Go make them understand. Because a lot of times, the only person who knows he has the STD, the only person that he knows that he's spreading this uncleanness through the camp, is the person that has it. So most of the commandments are, are specifically just to Moses and Aaron. But they were told, like when they were to camp by the Red Sea, they were told to, to teach it to the people, or speak to the children of Israel about it. Not using the formula for the anointing oil for anything other than the worship of God. They were supposed to speak to the children of Israel about that. Keeping the Sabbath, what animals they could eat, what animals that they couldn't eat. The th- sacrifices that they needed to make. The sacrifice that was needed to be made when you, when you gave birth. These things that when God spoke to Moses and Aaron, he says, speak to the, the children of Israel and make sure they know these things the things that are common, the things that are widespread, the things that, that everybody needs to, to deal with, like keeping the Sabbath. And so as we read this, we should just recognize Israel was a society like most societies before the advent of antibiotics. Most societies had sexually transmitted diseases that were very prevalent. And so God is telling them, this is not a holy people. This is a people that are ravaged by the effects of sin. So then it says to say to them, they're to teach these specific words that God related to Moses and Aaron. That when any man has a discharge, and that word translated men is not Adam, which is which can also mean mankind. Right? A man... We have a masculine language like Hebrew did, and so the word man stands in for man or woman. But this case, it is male. So when a male has a discharge. So this is specifically how to address dealing with a male. And it's going to go through, and the rest of the chapter, it's going to start to deal with females. But it starts with if a male has a, a discharge. 
So this is like an unusual thing coming out, like blood or pus coming out instead of urine. And so that primary, the word that's translated discharge is primarily used in the Bible in three places. It's related to, one is, it's used in this chapter a lot, but it's used in other places related to sexually transmitted diseases. The other place, uh, the, the second, or the, probably the prominent, most prominent place it's used, it's used in the land flowing with milk and honey. That's the same word as the discharge. And the other place that it's used is water coming from the rock when Moses struck the rock. And so it's interesting that it's used in all three of those places. And I think that, that the point is that all of these are flow that, that comes from not, not in our control. It's not that the flow is there. The land flowing with milk and honey. It's not because they're going to go and raise so many, you know, have so many beehives and raise so much cattle that it will flow from milk and honey. It's God causes it to flow with milk and honey. He causes it to be a blessed land. He causes the water to come from the rock. And he causes the STD. It's a judgment for sin. This is not produced by the choice of man. This is produced by the choice of God. It's not a controlled flow. All three cases, it's an uncontrolled flow. So when any man has a discharge from his body, so this is very much about the flesh, the result of sins in the flesh. It's going to continue in next week's passage and talk about the omission of semen, which is not inherently sinful, but it's still about the flesh. So it's better to not be controlled by the flesh. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 9, But I say this is a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widow, it is widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot execute self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the picture that there is a drive that comes from the flesh. And it is good to control that drive that comes from the flesh. It is not inherently sinful, but it causes a lot of sin. And so it's better to have that that control. And so that discharge is because, typically, not always, but that discharge because it could be the spouse of somebody who, who did sin, but that discharge is related to sin. It is related to sexual sin. So his discharge is unclean. When God inflicts someone with a venereal disease, and it could easily be the spouse of someone who was sinning, that they didn't sin, but their spouse did, still the discharge is unclean. It's still a picture of judgment that comes because of sin. Not necessarily on the sinner, but because of the sin. The King James translates it that instead of the discharge being unclean, that he is unclean. The King James says because of his issue, he is unclean. So I have no idea based on the Hebrew which is correct. But because of the laws related to sitting and other things, it would seem that both he and the discharge itself were both unclean. And so this shall be his uncleanness. He is unclean. The person who has consequence of sin, either because of their own sin or them not detecting the sin in others, 
they are affected by that sin and they become unclean through that sin. In regard to the to his discharge, because of his the discharge affects the whole body. It's important to recognize that. This is a picture of where you lie down, where you sit, the things if somebody touches you without washing their hands, they can make you unclean. This is how how invasive sin is. This is how easily sin spreads. This is how easily the effects of sin spread. We often think that we can separate sin, that we can segment it, right? That was the big thing that with President Clinton, when they were talking about his sexual sin, oh, it's compartmentalized. It doesn't affect how he, how he, uh, how he governs. Clearly, that was a bold-faced lie. But we should recognize it when we tell ourselves the same lie. Is, yeah, I have this sin in my area, in my life, but it's not affecting the rest of me. No, you have that hidden sin. It's affecting everything. It's affecting everything you touch. It's not just the things that come in direct contact with the sin that are affected. God didn't design the world that you can... You can segment off areas of your life. They all affect one another. If you're in slavery to sin, it doesn't matter that there's just this one sin that you're enslaved to. Your whole body's in slavery to sin. It has effect on, on what you're doing now. It will have effect on the rest of your life. Even if you think you have it contained to just one area, that's never how sin works. Sin affects the whole person. And sin affects the people that that person comes in contact with. Our sin affects the people around us. So where his body runs with his discharge, the idea here is if you're suffering incontinence, where you can't control your urination, which is a symptom of having an STD, or his body is stopped up by his discharge, that he's not able to urinate when he desires to. And that's also a symptom, potential symptom of having an STD. Or frequently it's very painful when you urinate. So this is, this is the picture that, that God is making it so that, so that physically you're, you're having trouble expelling waste or that you can't control yourself. And it doesn't matter which it is. Both of them are a sign that, that there's a problem. And it's a sign of judgment, judgment for sin. And it says it is his uncleanness. He is unclean. And it will have real consequences on those around him. And that gives him a real duty, a real responsibility to others. Because it's very easy for him to make others unclean. It's really important for us to recognize this as we consider this passage. The effects of our sin, it's easy for us to go, oh, I'm dealing with my sin. But the effects of your sin can make other people unclean when we hide it, when we go, yeah, I've got this handled, and we won't expose it, that effect still defiles other people. We'll get that picture in verses 4 through 12. Every bed is unclean on which he who has a discharge lies, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. He who sits on anything on which he who has a discharge sat shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has a discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe his water and be unclean until evening. 
If he who has the discharge spits on him who is, who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. He who carries any of these things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The vessel of earth that he he who has the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So it starts with every bed is unclean, of which he who has the discharge lies. This would make sense when we think about an STD. It's usually translated or transmitted through sexual activity, which obviously has connections to bed. That's frequently a metaphor for sexual activity. But still, it's not, it's not the activity. This is even touching it. This is the bed itself becomes defiled. Any contact with the bed makes the other person unclean. So this isn't just, this is talking about just how widespread the effect is. It's not how an STD transmits to protect you from STDs. doesn't matter how long he lies there, if he if just lies down there to sleep. It still affects that bed. It still affects the people who touch that bed. When we think of the discharge being related to sexual sins, sexual sins does have a real effect of defiling the bed. Not because of the physical disease, but sexual sins affect the relationship between husband and wife. Sexual sins affect your relationship with your future wife, your future husband. Don't think that these don't have ongoing effects. They have real ongoing effects. It really has, has consequences. And, and it is the mercy of God that he deals with those consequences. And he had to die to deal with those consequences. It has a direct effect on, on the bed. But not just that. Everything on which he sits... You know, the, again, the idea of sitting does have some tie to STD, but it doesn't have any tie with how STDs are spread. That's not how they're spread, by sitting where somebody with an STD already sat. But God is giving a picture of how, how pernicious the effects of sin are, how they defile other th- people, how they cause sin in other people. God is, you know, God is giving us a picture of just how how seriously we should take the effects of sin. How seriously should we should watch out for them. And the person who's sitting, he's probably the only one that knows that he has an STD. But yet he's affecting other people. He's, he's making them unclean. He has a real duty to them. You know, most people with an STD, they're not going around and announcing they have an STD. They're going to hide it. And so somebody sits in the same place that they just sat. They became defiled, but they have no idea that they were defiled. They became unclean. They have a a need to wash their clothes. They have a need to wash their body, but they have no idea. That's what we should think of as the picture of the effects of sin. We're affected by sin all over the place, and we don't see it because we don't even know about the sin. But that doesn't mean that sin didn't affect us. It really did. 
Everybody sits, who sits in the same place becomes unclean. When you think about that with the nation of Israel, all these people are going to be unclean and have no idea that they were unclean. This is what sin looks like. This is what the effects of sin looks like. Everywhere he sits shall be unclean. Whatever he sits on. And whoever touches his bed. Again, this is a picture of spreading sin. Having contact with the bed is not how you get STDs. But the spreading of the effect of sin spreads far easier than STDs spread. It's just touching the bed is sufficient. And so whoever touches the bed shall wash his clothes. Again, this is a picture of as we've talked about going through the leprosy, it's a picture of cleaning your deeds. The person who touches the bed, the person who who's saw the judgment of sin in the other person's life, the person who knows about it, they need to go and say, what do I need to change about my life? What things do I need to do differently? We are not just supposed to see the effects of sin and go, this means I do nothing. We're supposed to see the effects of sin and go, how should I deal with this? How have I... How has their sin affected me so that I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing? This is not about them getting the STD. This could be about the attitude they pick up. This could, they fail to see how, how they fail to see that that person is in that sin and they failed to catch it, right? This can be the way you need to clean your deeds. It's not that you have to deal with your STD. That's not the point because you touch the bed. The point is, is that their sin had a real effect on you. Too often we think somebody that's struggling with sin, that they're not affecting everybody around them. They are definitely affecting everyone around them. And they're giving everyone around them the opportunity to sin. And so we need to cleanse our deeds when we deal with people who sin. So when we've so so often we're defiled and have no idea, but when we find out, that should give us a greater zeal to go. So how did this how did this affect me? How did I change? How did I follow the example of this person who's who's defiled by sin? How do I think that their behavior is acceptable when I shouldn't have? And bathe in water that also affects how we think. It's the picture of us having to be washed, having to be cleansed personally and not just our, our deeds but ourselves. We need, to be, we need to be deliberate and need to be cleansing ourselves and saying, what, how am I thinking about things wrongly because I've accepted sin that I shouldn't have accepted? And so the person who finds out about it, they have to cleanse themselves. And they're still unclean until evening. The picture of being unclean until evening is, this picture is that the sin still affects you the day is a picture of of time and it still affects you it still makes you unfit for the presence of god but at the end of our days corruption will put on incorruption all the effects of sin the the tears and the sorrow will be removed and we'll be able to enter if we believe if we have faith in jesus christ we'll be able to enter into the presence of god for eternity but now, sin is still defiling us. Sin is still having an impact on us. We're still being defiled by the effects of sin. So he who sits on anything on which he who has a discharge sat, that person who sat where the affected person sat, it's 
not going to catch an STD, but they are still going to be affected by sin. They still need to be cleansed. And the times that you find out about it are just a small fraction of the times that you've been defiled by somebody's sin. And so every time you find out about it, you need to be cleansing yourself because there's plenty of times where you don't see it, where you don't know it. And so they have to wash their clothes and bathe in water. Again, their activities have been affected. Their thoughts have been affected. Their understanding has been affected. And they have to, and they'll be unclean until evening. Even though they washed, even though they did everything they could to remove it, it's still sufficient to separate us from God. And so it still has to be removed from us. And he who touches the body of one who has the discharge, this is, is not like putting your hand on their, their shirt. This is touching their flesh. It doesn't mean like you shake their hand and you've been defiled by them. It's touching any part of their flesh. So it has nothing to do with the transfer of disease. It's coming into personal contact with those who are suffering from the effects of sin that it will have effects on you. It causes us to be defiled as well. So they have to wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Deeds and thoughts need to be cleansed. They need to be considered in the light of God's word. That picture of washing with the water. Otherwise, sin will spread. Sin will only be contained. It will not be eliminated until Christ returns at the end of days. And corruption puts on incorruption. So if he who has the discharge, if the one with uh, venereal disease spits on him who is clean. And so while we can read this and think this is deliberate, this isn't probably a deliberate act. This is somebody who... You know, sometimes when you speak, a little droplet of spit can come out. And if that lands on somebody, they're unclean. This isn't saying that the unclean person goes, oh, I'll spit on this person to make them unclean. This is just, you know, that spittle can get there anyway that you share a fork with the person. Guess what? You're unclean. It's the picture of what's coming out of them is making them unclean. It doesn't take much to spread the uncleanness. That's the thing to take away from this passage is how easily the effects of sin spread. How easily the, the judgment of sin spreads. And it, can, it affects others even when it's not intentional, when it's not deliberate. This isn't somebody spitting in somebody else's face. This is just you're close enough to the person that a little splatter when they're speaking hits you. And now all of a sudden you're unclean. The picture is how easily sin spreads. Then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. It is still an effect of sin that needs to be dealt with. And so, again, we've talked about this before, but if you look at all these things that made you unclean, think about it. As they went through life, they could be walking next to or near somebody who's talking and a little bit of their spit falls on them. They have no idea. They could sit where somebody sat that had an STD, have no idea. And God is saying they've been defiled by that. They've been made unclean by that. This is how we just need to recognize the the pervasiveness of sin in the world and how much it affects us. So the person who was spit on, 
He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. The effects of sin still has to be dealt with. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it. This is, you know, this is why we do the Lord's Supper. This is why every week, you know, the command is to examine yourself. Because you could have picked up the effects of sin, just like the priests, before they could, they could worship in the temple, before they could do any sacrifices, they had to wash their hands and feet. Because they were picking up dirt of the world. And this is the picture of the Lord's Supper, is that we have to wash our hands and feet. We have to be, which is why Christ washed the disciples' feet when he established the Lord's Supper. We're being defiled by the world around us, and it's so easy for us not to see that defilement, not even to know about it. And so that there's times, and God appointed once a week, where we step back and we say, okay, we're going to examine ourselves. We're going to see what sin have I picked up from the world? How have I been made unclean without even realizing it? So we can repent. We can wash our clothes. We can think, how, what, what thoughts have I picked up this week that are not in line with Scripture? And so that we can wash our body, we can cleanse our thoughts. And then it says any saddle. The primary term, the primary definition of the word that's translated saddle is actually chariot. That's what the word means. And so it's just a saddle more because it really has to do with travel. It has to do with riding. Um, and so I don't... It could just be that he's being very specific to give another example of something that was sat on, but I think that I think the point here is more if you ch- share uh, share transportation with somebody, if you go where they go, if you're with them when they go someplace, that that makes you unclean. Of hit, you know, any saddle of which he who has the discharge ride shall be unclean. If you rode with the person, if you traveled with the person, you're made unclean. And again, it doesn't mean that you even know the person. doesn't even know, you know, usually this, this picture would even be you're on the same ship with the person. You've been made unclean. This is how easily sin spreads. This is how easily the effects of sin affect us. We're affected by the sin of the sinners around us. Whoever touches anything that was under him, if it was anything he sat on or, the, or bore him, if you touch any of it, then you're unclean and shall be unclean until evening. This doesn't require the, the bathing and washing of clothes. You're still made unclean, but you don't even know about it. You don't even have the same, you know, you touch something that was under him. You're just unclean until evening. You don't have to say, how has this affected my deeds and my thoughts? But it still has an effect. Even when you just touch something, even that where he wasn't there, it still had an effect. But he who carries any of these things, if you actually pick him up and carry the stuff, if, you're, if you've joined with him to that higher level, even if it's a indirect, you pick up a chair after someone who has a discharge sat on it, it still defiled them, it still made them unclean, you still had contact with them. And so it's not just... It's not just they're touching something that they sat on, but it's once you lift it up and you carry it, you've participated more, and so then you have to wash your clothes. You have to bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Again, 
God is saying example after example after example so that we recognize how easily sin affects us. Because it is so easy to think that sin doesn't affect us, that the, the effects of sin, the effects of judgment in somebody else's life doesn't affect us. But we're supposed to see those things and see how it affects us and say, what do I need to change because the sin of the people around me is affecting us? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And whomever the one who has the discharge touches. So this is where somebody who has the discharge physically reaches out and touches someone. So this is really an exception to the case. Remember the case was if you touched their flesh, you became unclean. Well, if you shook somebody's hand, they may have reached their hand out to shake your hand. You became unclean. But God gives an exception here. This is where the person who made the discharge, the contact was initiated by him. And you're only made unclean if he has not rinsed his hands in water. The one with the discharge, if he's rinsed his hands in water, and again, that's a picture of, of God's word. If he's washed his deeds, if he's, if he's cleansed it so he understands the judgment, then he can have contact with the person and not make them unclean. But if he hasn't examined things in the light of God's word, if he hasn't examined things in the light of what God says is righteous, then he defiles when he reaches out to touch. So there is a way, though, that you could touch somebody, but it requires to be deliberate. It requires to, to actually deal with it, to deal with your sin, to deal with the effects of your sin so you don't spread the sin around. So if he hasn't, if so, if somebody who has a discharge reaches out and touches you, and has he has not rinsed his hands in water, then you have to wash your clothes, you have to bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. If his sin wasn't cleansed, it gets transferred to you. And the vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches. It even transfers through inanimate objects. It's very easy for us to think that the things are more important. You have that vessel of earth, that, that pot, right? You had to go get the clay and you had to, to gather it and you had to shape it and you had to bake it so that it could be a pot. And God's saying, destroy it. It's better to not have the sin spread. That thing is not worth the spreading of sin. You know, it's easy to think that that labor, that work, now we get stuff manufactured so easily, things are considered cheap that used to be considered very dear, very expensive, like clothes. Clothes used to be incredibly expensive. But the same thing with that pot. If you did all that work, you're going to go, uh, that, that, that's not worth it. And God is saying, that is worth it. Just destroy the pot. It shall be just broken. It shall be destroyed. You know, remember what Christ said. Christ said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better to go into heaven blind than it is to go to hell. And so, too often we want to preserve things and say, we don't want, you know, we'll suffer with the effects of sin because we like this thing so well. And God is saying, just destroy it. If it's like the earthen vessel where it's gotten into it, just destroy it. It's not worth it. It's not worth carrying it forward. And every vessel of wood, which 
the pots, the earthen pots, need to be destroyed, but the vessel of wood doesn't. The earthen pot is a picture of something that's, that's purely dirt, purely from the earth, things that should just be destroyed. But if it's just something that's connected to the earth like wood, that it does rise out of the ground, but there's a sense that it rises out and it's, it's separate from the earth, it's rising towards heaven. If it grows out of the earth, it doesn't mean that it needs to be destroyed. It can be rinsed in water, it can be cleansed. If it's just earthly, destroy it. But it doesn't need to be destroyed if it has another element into it, if it has something that's beyond just being earthly. Verses 11 through 15. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water, then he shall be clean. On the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. Then the priest shall offer them, the one is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. So when he who has a discharge is cleansed, this is an important picture, the effects of sin which is that discharge, that that STD. This is a judgment because of sin. The effects of sin don't need to be carried forward forever. Many STDs can heal, especially now things like gonorrhea, which is so, that used to be permanent. Now they give them a shot of an antibiotic and that person seven days later is healed. It's removed. So this is the picture that God can heal it. He can heal, not just the stop the sin, but he can heal the effects of the sin. He can stop spreading the effects of that sin. So he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge. When the discharge is no more, when the man's body becomes operating as it was before, as it should be, when he can again control his urination, Then he shall count for himself. Once it appears that he's been cleansed, it doesn't mean that he's right. He just thinks he's been cleansed. So just like with the leprosy that you were to wait seven days, with this you're to wait seven days to see if it's really gone, if it's really been healed. Seven days for his cleansing to make sure that that it doesn't come back. Because we can think that we've dealt with the effects of sin in our life and then all of a sudden there it comes, it comes back and there's still that effect that we have to deal with something else. But if after seven days it's still gone, then he shall wash his clothes. Again, there to cleanse their deeds. Just because God cured them, just because God put that sin behind them so that there's not an ongoing effect. It doesn't mean that their uncleanness didn't spread to other things. They still have to, to say, what do I need to do? What do I need to change? And bathe his body in running water. Similarly, once the effects of that sin. And this is running water, which means that the water, the water is being changed. It's not like the laver where they would have the water in the laver and all the priests would go wash in that water. This is water that was... You know, like in a stream or in a bowl that you're pouring the water over the person's hands. This is a picture of the, you know, a shower rather than a bath. Because the water has to be carried away. That's how we're made clean. Clean is the effects of the sin are carried away. We don't just move them around. Verses 16 through 
This is what God can do. He can take the effects of sin away. Well, all we do when we try to deal with sin is we just move it around. So bathe his body in running water, then he shall be clean. After the bathing and washing his clothes, he's restored and should be thought of as restored. You know, the, as I read this, what it reminded me of is the man in 1 Corinthians 5 that had his father's wife. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, it talks about how he was restored to the church. This is the picture. The sin was dealt with. It was put away. He was shown to have a zeal for, for righteousness, to have a zeal to, to stop sinning. And so then he could be restored. But he still needed to acknowledge how he could be cleansed. So on the eighth day after the, the cleansing, a picture of after time, because again, that week represents time. There's an acknowledgement of the source of the cleansing. He'll take for himself. He has the duty to do this. This isn't enforced by the civil magistrate or by the priesthood. He's the one who knows that he's been cleansed. Up to this point, nobody knows what's been going on necessarily. That's not required. But he takes two turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is when he has to make it public. And again, if you think of this as after the second coming of Christ, all our sins will be made public. Everybody will know that we were forgiven of these sins through the blood of Jesus Christ for those who are saved. So he has to take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the smallest of the living sacrifices. So this is not a large investment, but the one who is cleansed needs to acknowledge it before the Lord. He needs to come to the tabernacle. Again, the picture of coming into the presence of God or approaching the presence of God. The door of the tabernacle of meeting the place where, where they were to meet with God, where the presence of God was. And the way that that person who has that effect of sin in his life, the way that he, that he could be cleansed of that, the way that it could, be, it could be taken away from him, was by bringing these birds, bringing these sacrifices to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and to give them to the priest. And then the priest shall offer them. The priest... Right, the picture of Christ. The priest is the one that offered the sacrifice. And in one sense, it's a picture of Christ offering the sacrifice. In another sense, it's a picture of the, fair, or the, the, the Levitical priest offering Christ as a sacrifice. But the point is, is that the priests offer the sacrifice. It wasn't that we made Christ a sacrifice. It's that Christ laid down his life so that we could be cleansed. So then he's offered them. One is a sin offering. The picture of a sin offering is the picture of justification. The way that this person can go into heaven, the way that he can be cleansed of his STD, the way that he can be right with God is because Christ died for him. Christ was the sin offering that took away the sin that he didn't know, the sin that he unintentionally committed. Then the other was offered as a burn offering. The picture of the burn offering is substitutionary atonement where Christ takes the place that we deserve, the place of hell that we deserve. And he did it not just for us, but for the whole world. The whole world deserves to be destroyed because of Adam's sin. But instead, God, God will preserve it. He'll make a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what the sacrifice of Christ did. So it's through the burn offering that there can be a sin offering. Our sins are forgiven because Christ became the burn offering. 
And through this, the priest shall make atonement for him. Through this, he'll be reconciled to God. It's through those sacrifices that the effects of our sin can be removed. And we can be fit to once again enter into the presence of God. So they would make these sacrifices before the Lord. They would make these sacrifices as a testimony. This is how you were restored to the Lord, is through the burnt offering and through the, the sin offering, through these pictures of the sacrifices of Christ, because of his discharge, because of the, because of the effects of sin in his life, because of the judgment of sin in his life. We need to be restored. We need to be made one with God. So let me give you some applications. The first application is repentance is not about hiding the sin. For people to know that the seat you sat on would made them unclean because you had an STD means that you have to be willing to tell people. The things that you had to declare, you had to say these things so that people could, you're not just making them unclean without them recognizing that they made them unclean. When it talks about confessing our sins to one another, this is the picture. Your sin has defiled people. When that sin that's defiled people, when you repent of it, part of repentance is to to show that you've been cleansed, to tell people because your sin has affected them. It's so easy for us to think our sin hasn't affected people, but this is the picture of the passage. Your sin affects everybody around you. Everybody around you, even people that have very low-level low contact with you, your sin has affected. And so when we want to be made clean, when we just want to love our neighbor to make sure that they aren't unclean, we have to be willing to confess our sin. When you were walking in sin, making people unclean without letting them know, you're not loving them, you're not caring for them. And obviously we're embarrassed about the result of sin. We're embarrassed about the consequences of sin. So often people are a lot more embarrassed about the consequences of sin than they're embarrassed about the sin themselves. I've been to churches where, where the woman, a young girl, gets pregnant out of wedlock and people are upset about the baby. The baby's not the problem. The baby's a blessing. That's what the Bible says. The problem is the fornication. That's the sin. And we confuse the results and we get embarrassed about the results rather than embarrassed about the sin. But repentance doesn't look like that. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11 says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. All these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. When we're really repenting of sin, we don't hide the sin. We actually deal with the effects of the sin. That's what real godly repentance looks like. It's not to be embarrassed by the sin, but it's to be thankful that God delivered us from the sin. And that means that we try to prevent other people from being affected by the sin. 
which is what Paul is describing when he talks about that he knows that they sorrowed in a godly manner, that had real godly repentance, not worldly repentance, not worldly sorrow, but real godly sorrow. You're cleansed of the sin, so you don't want other people to be affected by it, impacted by it, tempted by it. The duty we have is not to hide our sin, but to deal with the consequences, not just in our own lives, but in the lives that we touch. (coughs) Another application. In the vast majority of cases, STDs are a result of sin. Our nation wants to deny that. They want to push everybody, little babies, to get hepatitis B vaccine, even though it's related to sexual perversity. They didn't want to see AIDS as a judgment. They want to say that the the results of sin can be disconnected from the sin. So that the sin wasn't bad, that all that's bad is the results of sin. Our society works hard to deal with the effects and at the same time turns around and promotes the sin. The effects are not the problem. The effects are a blessing that God has put in the world. STDs are a blessing that God put in the world to make there be consequences for the sin, the sin of fornication, the sin of adultery. This is the problem. The STDs are God's mercy to constrain the sin. And we need to make sure that we're thinking about it that way. And so even though it is defiling, even though it is all these problems, let's remember the root of it is the sin. This is God constraining sin in his mercy. (coughs) Another application, don't deceive yourself. You cannot compartmentalize sin. We want to believe that will work. Even more so, our society wants to say that it will work. Oh yeah, Bill Clinton broke covenant with his wife, but that doesn't mean that his oath of office means nothing. That's not what God says. God says that sin affects all of you. We can't compartmentalize sin. You're sitting here today going, yeah, I've got this sin in my life, but it's not affecting anything else. That's a lie. That's deceptive. Your sin affects other things. Your sin affects other parts of your life. It is you that sinned, not just some part of you. And so don't think that you can separate it. When we see judgment in life, it's easy to connect to disconnect it from the area of sin. But frequently that judgment is directly related to the sin. The drunkard vomits and has a headache. The effects of the sin are directly related to the sin. The person who's sexually promiscuous gets an STD. It's directly related. God doesn't always do that, but he frequently does. When we see sin in our life, we should always going, saying, is there... Something very directly connected to this, to this sin. When we see judgment, we should, always, we should always be saying, is there a sin that's very related to this judgment? God doesn't send judgment and consequences for our sin so that we don't understand our sin. He sends consequences for our sin so we do see our sin, so we do repent. We want to think that we can compartmentalize it, that we can just say it affects one part. And sometimes God judges all of us. Sometimes he judges part of us. 
are just one aspect of our life. But we should always recognize sin is affecting all of us. Another application for young adults in particular, we live in a society that says sexual sins don't have any other effect. That it's normal to have premarital sex, that there's something wrong with you if you don't have premarital sex. And while it is normal to have those desires, it's also important to recognize and to understand that the effects of that sin, it will continue to defile you. It will continue to have effects 10, 20, 30, 40 years later. Well, after the gratification is no longer remembered, the effects of the sin will still be there. That's an important thing to take away from this passage. The effects of sin continue. Don't think that you'll escape them. Now, you can't escape them through the blood of Jesus Christ. He can give you back the years that the locusts have eaten. But don't think that sin doesn't have a huge effect going forward. It does. And then more broadly, we should understand how affected we are by the sin around us. You know, it's easy to say that we're opposed to abortion, but we live in a country that's killed 65 million or more babies, and everybody's been made unclean by that sin. That sin has an effect on all of us. That sin has an effect on how we think, how we, the things that we do. Because even where the battle lines are, the battle lines are in a different place because of the sin. And we need to recognize that sin is like leaven. It spreads, and not just the original sin. It's like the person who got an STD. He lies about having the STD to cover up his sin. And then somebody else maybe knows that he's lying, and then they go, oh, lying's acceptable, and then it spreads, and they start to lie. This is what sin looks like. People want an excuse to continue in their sin. Sin defiles, and it continues to defile. And the sins that we accept as a society, the, the hatred of life, the lack of care for life, which is abortion's an aspect of it, there's all different ways that that affects us. And so as we think of this picture of that effect and the consequences of sin spreading, we should just recognize in our culture how much that's affected us, even though we don't think it has. That's why we need God's word. That's why we need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. We need to, we need to see the world the way God sees it. Because our default is to see the world the way it is around us. Instead of the way the spiritual reality that the physical is, is just a manifestation of. Another application of strain is to confess the sin. The STD becomes positive. Constrain the effects. When it's hidden, others and they don't even know. When it's exposed, the spreading of this uncleanness, all of a sudden it can be constrained and people can understand it. You know, this is why it's so important, like where it says, you know, if you, there's two or three witnesses against an elder, rebuke them in the presence of all so that all may understand and all may fear. This is the picture. This is the picture of saying we're going to stop the uncleanness from spreading. When a leader is in sin, you rebuke the sin because that stops. That stops it from spreading. Because sin spreads. People, uncleanness goes from one to another. 
And God wants a righteous and holy people. And the way you get develop a righteous and holy people is you expose sin. You don't say it's good to hide the results of sin. You expose the results of sin. Another application, recognize the amount of sin in the world that we've been affected by. Because this is, you know, uncleanness. STDs are very common. Even though it's a relatively quick cure, right? A shot in the arm and gonorrhea can be taken care of now. But most of us, if you've gone in public, if you've gone to a restaurant, if you've traveled, if you've gotten on a bus, you've gotten on an airplane, go to a doctor's office. You've been made unclean by an STD. Now, this isn't, this isn't like you're unclean. This is a picture. But the picture is this is how sin is affecting you. It's everywhere, and you're being made unclean all the time. And so you need to constantly be washing yourself. The picture of this is whenever you're made unclean, you have to wash yourself. You have to wash your clothes. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be washing ourselves. We're supposed to be washing our clothes. And the way to do that is to wash in the water of the Word. Don't be deceived. If you're not reading the Scripture in your home, if you're not reading it for yourself, if you're not reading it for your family, if you're not, if you're not in God's Word, you're not being cleansed, and the world is making you unclean. This is the way that it works. The world has sin, all, the effects of sin are all throughout the world. And if you're not cleansing yourself, you are being made unclean. We constantly need to be cleansing ourselves because the world is constantly defiling us. Another application is our sin defiles others in the church. The effect of our sin affects others. The picture is when they rode in a chariot with someone else, they became defiled. If they rode in a ship with somebody else, they became defiled. If you go to church with somebody else and that person is in sin, their sin is defiling you. Our, our sin defiles one another. So we need to watch for that effect. We need to watch how, you know, I forget who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody who was talking about how that they, you know, that they knew of this guy who preached. And he preached boldly and he preached directly, but he wouldn't ever preach about the sins of the people in the congregation. He would teach about other people's sins, but not their sins. That's what happens, right? When we, don't, when we don't think sin affects us, the reality is we start to accept that sin when we don't think our sin affects other people. And we need to recognize that that person who's doing something that you don't think that they should be doing, and maybe it's their interpretation of Scripture, and maybe you're right, maybe they're right, but the point is we need to watch for that because we can be defiled by one another very easily. Where what one person says is acceptable, other people, the default is for them to find it acceptable. And we have to fight against that. Otherwise, we all slide to the point where we have acceptable sins in the church, where everybody says, this sin's acceptable. No, it's not. God's standard is unchanging. It doesn't matter if we all agree to disregard it or not. His standard is unchanging. We always need to watch for the effect that our own sins have on other people, but also that other people's sins have on us. And again, I said this before, but I'll go back to it. Is This is one of the importance of the Lord's Supper. 
is you still need to examine yourself. You still need to see how have you been defiled? How have you been defiled by the world? How have you been defiled by the church? Right? They'd constantly be coming unclean through all these things. They would constantly have to be washing. And that's why you need to read the scripture. But that's also why we need the Lord's Supper so that there can be a time when we say, how do I clean my clothes? How do I, what am I doing? What deeds am I doing that I'm not, that I should be doing? Or what deeds am I, or shouldn't be doing? Or what deeds am I not doing that I should be doing? And the Lord's Supper is that weekly reminder to actually examine yourself. Actually wash your clothes. Actually wash yourself. God has given us this pattern because of how easily we can be defiled by the world. And the churches that don't want to do the Lord's Supper, they don't get confronted with that. So how do you grow in holiness? God's plan is for the church to do the Lord's Supper weekly so that his people become holy. But that only does that if you examine yourself as God commands if you prepare for the Lord's Supper, if you say, how have I been defiled by the world? Then the last application is we think of this picture. We think how you pick up a saddle that somebody else, you you pick up a chair that somebody sat in and you become unclean. There's one person that didn't work that way. Christ was completely different. The woman who has an issue of blood touches his garment, which is kind of the flip of this whole thing, right? She touches his garment and she becomes clean. This is the opposite of everything that's in this passage. Everything in this passage is our uncleanness just goes out and it affects everything. And then Christ comes and Christ makes the unclean clean. And Christ's cleanness spreads. As we think and we go through this life and we think of all the ways that we can be affected by sin, also remember, Christ makes his people clean. And he will make it so that we are perfectly clean. He is only the perfectly clean. Only those who have perfectly clean garments can eternally be in the presence of God. So the world wants to spread sin, but Christ came to fix the problem. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for this passage. We we pray for wisdom in how to apply it to our lives. We pray for wisdom in the the things that I missed, the things that I didn't capture because there's much here. Lord, we pray that you just give us the the understanding of how, how easily sin spreads, how easily our sin affects other people. Lord, give us a zeal, a zeal to walk in holiness, a zeal to walk in your word, to under, to think like you think, to be like David, who meditated on your law night and day. That's how we, that's how we get cleansed. That's how we turn from our sin. The world wants to defile us. Make us a holy people. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.